Welcome to How We Got Here, a podcast with FKG Consulting and Nondoc Media. This is our third episode, and we're going to focus on Oklahoma's gubernatorial campaign 2018. I'm here with three guys who are smarter than me and uh, work in the political realm and have been candidates themselves. Um, with Brian Freed and Alex Wentz of FKG. Gentlemen. How are you doing? How are you? I'm, I'm good. Uh, how are you? We're going to find out how we're doing here in just a couple of minutes. <laughs> I've, uh, ne- I've never been a candidate, though. I would like to point that out. Right. Well, that the me, man me who me. has been a candidate is to my left here, Joe Dorman, uh, former uh, state representative from Rush Springs, as well as the 2014 gubernatorial uh, nominee for the Democratic Party. How are you, Joe? Good day to you, sir. Doing well. Good, good. You are in your current position as the head of the Oklahoma Institute for Child Advocacy, a uh, longstanding organization that is, has done a lot of things for, for the advancement of, of children's welfare uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, but today we're going to put your political hat back on and, uh, and go down the, go backwards down the trail of Oklahoma politics, uh, about a decade, decade and a half. Sound good? Great. Let's do it. Okay. So, uh, if you're under a rock and you don't know in November, uh, Oklahoma will choose a new governor. Uh, and before that on June 26th, uh, Republicans will vote for the Republican nominee of their choice and Democrats, uh, with, uh, added independence in there will be able to choose uh, their uh, nominee and if neither of those uh, groups depending on who actually files here in in april uh, if neither of them gets uh, 50 percent plus one then there'll be a runoff on august 28th so uh, we are about uh let me do math in my head three months out march april may and then june so about four three three and a half four months away from the primary election Seems like we've been talking about this for a, a long time. Um, we we had a story on Nondoc recently uh, about the race heating up a little bit, and it involved um, a Tulsa attorney, Gary Richardson, uh, kind of uh, going on the attack uh, against some of his opponents. Uh, the opponents are Lieutenant Governor Todd Lamb, uh, who's a former state senator, former uh, Secret Service agent. Uh, other opponent would be Oklahoma City Mayor Mick Cornett, uh, Tulsa businessman Kevin Stitt, current state auditor inspector Gary Jones, and then uh, uh, pastor and former state representative Dan Fisher. That's on the Republican side only. That's a mighty field. We'll see if anybody else even gets in uh, beyond that. But what has your guys' take been on the sort of uh, um, uh, effort that Gary Richardson has in in sort of uh, going on the attack? I think uh, Gary Richardson is positioning himself as a Trump-esque figure in the Republican primary. I think he sees a crowded field just like Trump had. Uh, He is grabbing the loudest microphone uh, he can find, creating controversy, putting himself at the center of it so he stays uh, in the narrative, in the storyline, even though he's not a front runner. Uh, And he's presenting himself as uh, an outsider with with business experience, just like Donald Trump did, who's, who's not afraid to criticize the powers that be. So, and, and he's doing it in kind of a brash way, uh, as his, uh, President Trump has made very trendy. So I, I think that's sort of the mold he's working with right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think what, what's interesting about it is that uh, just recently he put up a website to attack uh, Kev, uh, Kevin Stitt, who is a businessman. And I, I believe the, the strategy there from Gary Richardson is, is twofold. Number one, uh, there's there's only place in this uh, race for, for one Tolson to, 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 to be uh, in the runoff. Also, I think that that he is trying to be the outsider, the Donald Trump-esque, and Kevin Stitt is trying to run himself as the 
reformer business outsider. And so I think both of them are, are trying to figure out uh, who can uh, gain the most credibility with the voters as being the outsider, the Trump-esque, uh, we're going to go in and clean up uh, politics as usual, uh, which is a great sentiment right now. I think people are frustrated with the process. They're frustrated with uh, career politicians. And so I, I think that's why you see these two battling it out for kind of that identity. Yeah, I, I agree, Brian. That was, for those listening, that was Alex uh, Wentz first and then Brian uh, in his response. I, I think they're also battling for Tulsa, the ge- geography of, of the Tulsa market. Uh, Joe, what's your take? Uh, that's exactly right. Both of the guys that are outside of politics, so to speak, are trying to portray themselves as the outsiders because that's going to play well with the voters this cycle. People are frustrated, especially with all of the issues that have been happening at the Capitol during session with not being able to find consensus on a budget without addressing some of the critical issues in our state. People are tired of the stagnation, and so they're going to look, just like they did in the presidential race, for someone who's not your typical insider in politics. Yeah, and and Richardson has a history of, of doing that. And this, so far, he's gone after Todd Lamb, kind of crit- criticizing Lamb as lieutenant governor for sort of having stepped down from Governor Fallon's cabinet uh, over some tax uh, adjustments that were proposed, and then a year later or so kind of posing some similar uh, rollbacks of tax exemptions on sales tax and stuff like that. And he's kind of gone after Lamb in that regard. Uh, In terms of Stitt, he posted ShadyKevin.com. It's sort of an 18-year-old metaphor uh, or uh, for uh, reference, I guess, to um, M&M's 2000 LP. Right, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Later in the outtakes, Alex is going to wrap a few lines. Uh, Yep. Um, but you have to listen to the whole podcast to get to that. And you got to like and review us uh, <laughs> as, as well. No, uh, and so he, he references this based on um, Stitt's uh, background in the mortgage business. Uh, Stitt has sort of early on defined himself on TV and, and other things as a businessman, built a, a gateway mortgage company with a, a, a computer, $1,000 in a computer, um, in my head, I always imagine him there with a gateway computer, you know, one of the ones that from, uh, you know, my childhood that had the cow box and all that. Right. But he, that, you know, that's sort of his messaging, right, is that he built this large business that does business in 40 different states and employs a thousand people and all these sorts of things. And, but what, what Richardson has dug into is lawsuits that that company has, has been involved in. And has put all that up on the website. You guys can listening can can kind of go peruse that on yourself, your own, or go look at the story that I, I wrote about all of this. But he sort of a, attacked him as sort of a, a a shady businessman is what he's 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 referencing, and which is interesting because Richardson, if we go back in time into how we got here, Richardson is a former U.S. attorney. He's a a trial lawyer. Uh, he he has dealt with. Um, uh, political corruption in his time. He was a prosecutor uh, did, at the federal level uh, in the 1980s uh, county commissioner scandal. He uh, defended um, Vic Fiesel, I believe it was, down in Texas, who was sort of being set up by a bunch of uh, corrupt uh, politicos down there, who was a district attorney, I, I think he was. And then he's also sued a lot of people for defamation and, and other things along those lines, sort of going after uh, corporate, you know, uh, entities. He was he he was going to be involved in the Enron case, but wound up making a deal to let those attorneys deal with that. So he, it, it's sort of an interesting situation, right? You have Richardson, who's a, a trial attorney in your traditional sense, who 
you know, sticks up for the little guy going against, you know, a guy who's got a big company and, and, and lends, you know, uh, uh, money for people to buy houses, which while it's important, um, you know, that's not exactly everybody's favorite person ever, right? Like the person who holds the note on their, right. on, on their belongings. So, um, so it's an interesting dichotomy, but this is not Gary Richardson's first uh, go around on this, on this uh, uh, battlefield, right? I mean, in 2002, he was the independent candidate uh, for governor, who really affected that race between Republican Steve Largent and Democrat Brad Henry? Yeah, right. he was he was the Ross Perot of that race, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, a, a taller, a, a, yeah, a taller Ross Perot, smaller ears. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, tell us kind of what you guys recall from from that. I was seventeen years old, something like eighteen years old. So my, we're listening my, to the real Slim Shady still. Yeah, we're getting ready to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I remember the race well. Uh, Brad Henry was uh, quite frankly a uh, unknown state senator who at, at this point in time in the race was was polling pretty low. Uh, as a matter of fact, when he when he ran in the primary, he ran against Vince Orza. Vince Orza uh, won that primary, and Vince Orza almost uh, outright won the primary, if I recall. Uh, he got into the mid to high 40s, I believe. Uh, Brad Henry was, I think, uh, high 20s, somewhere around then. Uh, but then you went to the runoff, and I think that's something we'll talk about in just a second about the dynamics of a runoff election, because typically that's what what happens in a runoff election is you get a smaller turnout, uh, probably more hardcore party people come out in in runoffs, and that's where Brad Henry w- was able to be successful. Uh, but yes, uh, you know, prior to Brad Henry winning, then I think once when Brad Henry won the primary, uh, the prevailing sentiment I think amongst most people was going to be that Steve Largent was going to be the next governor. Uh, I think there are those that believe that uh, Gary Richardson absolutely had an impact on that race. Uh, I know that uh, something that Joe will fondly remember is another factor in that race was cockfighting was on the ballot, and that was something that people believed, uh, which which for for, uh, those who don't remember, uh, that was banning cockfighting as a sport in the state of Oklahoma. And there was a belief that 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 helped the turnout for uh, Brad Henry in that race. So uh, it, it certainly was a, a fascinating uh, year in 2002. That would have helped him in eastern Oklahoma where uh, cockfighting was, was maybe a little more popular, uh, I think. I mean, I, I, my, my <laughs> we, our production person is nodding over here who grew up in southeastern Oklahoma. He's nodding uh, furiously. Joe? Well, my landslide win for my first term as state representative, I'm sure, helped Brad Henry, too. Yeah, oh, there you go. <laughs> Clearly, that was it. There's so, about I was on the ballot that year my first time, so I remember it fondly because that was the discussion. Uh, it was a state question that was on the ballot, and we're going to see that impact some of the races this time, too, with state questions and issues that the legislature will put on the ballot. It will drive a certain segment of the voters out that you can count will vote usually towards one political party. But with that race, those issues did come into play for turnout, and everything just fell into place right for Brad. I mean, as you said, he came into the runoff in second place, won it thanks to a heavy partisan support through the runoff, and then had enough support going into the general election where it just kept gradually and gradually moving for him, and if you remember, it was one of the closest races in state history between he and Steve Largent. You know, the the, the part of, that Joe pointed out about turnout on the cockfighting, the reason why that, I think, was in, uh, important in 2002, uh, and I think it's important to illustrate the difference between 
2002 and today, uh, because I do believe that the Democrats today uh, believe that the environment in Oklahoma, we have a, there's a lot of people that are frustrated with when in action, not getting things done, uh, all of those type of things. And I think that the Democrats believe that they want to capitalize off of that environment and they point back to 2002. Uh, they point to a lot of those things. But one, one thing that has changed since 2002, uh, uh, turnout was important in 2002 because in 2002, uh, the, the registration amongst Democrats in the state of Oklahoma was 54 percent. Republicans, it was 36 percent. Independents, it was 10 percent. Uh, fast forward to today, the election that we're going to go into in 2018, uh, that number for the Democrats has, has gone from 54 percent registration to 38 percent registration. Democrat uh, Republicans have gone from 36 percent to 47 percent, and independents have gone from 10 percent to 15 percent. So in 2002, with the Democrats having a 54 percent registration advantage, turnout was uh, was significant, no question. Yeah, and you had Brad Henry wound up getting 43.3 percent of the vote, Largent got 42.6, and Richardson got 14.1. Uh, it, it was sort of a cakewalk for Largent to get into the to the Republican nomination, he won with 87% of the vote, and like you said, uh, Henry kind of came back and flipped that in the in in the runoff. Um, in terms of uh, how Gary Richardson positioned himself in 20 in 2002 versus what he's doing now, I see some similarities. I see some differences. The similarities being he was quick to go after Steve Largent, and to a lesser extent, Brad Henry in 2002. He he criticized Largent. Um, in a way where it may be almost backfired for him for for where he was uh, on on September 11th that was a big ad that he'd cut uh, he, he did some other things um, Largent had had uh, cussed on television uh, that became uh, a big issue as well but but Richardson in in forums and, and from what I've read you know looking back at old newspapers um, Richardson was really on the attack and of course when you're down and you're a third party person that's what you've got to do. He's sort of doing that again in 2018. Yeah, I think that he's 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 clearly trying to be the the outside uh, candidate, the guy who uh, can can you know throw grenades. I think the problem Richardson has is that I, I think he has a limited upside. You know, again, he he ran as an independent, he's run as a Republican. I think amongst Republican Party loyalists, uh, you know. They're, they just won't trust him too much to, to, to go much further. But the question is, what kind of damage can he do to other candidates through the process? I think it, that's the question. Yeah, and so, so speaking of other candidates, we've talked about the, the outsiders. Do we want to talk about the, the insiders? Um, I'm not sure they would want to run as that, but it, it's accurate. Uh, well, and it's interesting because and this will let's start with Todd Lamb, sure. who's the lieutenant governor, former state senator. He just went on air with a television ad uh, this week. And in it, it does not list him as lieutenant governor, and it does not note him as, as state senator. It talks about his time in the Secret Service and, and, and some other things that he's done, but it, it, it sort of goes out of its way uh, not to note that he's been at the Capitol for right. 14 years or however long it would be. And I think it's we've come to a point in our politics, and, and we've been there for the better part of a decade at least, where it's impossible now to run as an insider. Uh, you don't see people saying, vote for me, I have great experience in government and, and great results. And I, I worked for um, the first Mary Fallon for governor campaign and she was transitioning from Congress. And the last thing we would have ever put in any of her commercials or ads or anything we were cutting was you know, a picture of Congresswoman Fallon hard at work. 
uh, at the United States Capitol. It was something that you know we were eager to to distance that part of her career from uh, leadership opportunities in, in the governor's office. I'm, I'm interested in, in Joe. When you ran for for governor, you were running as a state rep. Did you have to try to make people forget that you were a state rep, or how did, how did you deal with that in in your campaign? When I was on the campaign trail, it was more just trying to get people to recognize my name and not even worry about what title I had. Uh, it was just with limited resources. Uh, it was tough early on just to get that name recognition. And a lot of people had remembered me from the effort for trying to get storm shelters in schools. And so that was one of the things I talked about quite a bit. But it was surprising that didn't resonate very well with the voters. Um, as I was going around, people were wanting to talk about the problems at the Capitol. And I was able to talk about issues from being the insider. And we had talked about that before we got on. Knowing the issues when you're in a forum and talking one-on-one -on -one with voters is very important. When you're on your commercials, it's completely different. You do want to have that outside, fresh perspective. But when you're sitting down discussing policy, people want you to know what you're talking about. And I think it's a, you know, we're sitting here uh, and there's there's a, there's a big elephant in the room that I that we haven't really discussed, and that this is the first real um, in in Oklahoma election post Donald Trump being elected president of the United States. And I think that you know, Alex, what you're alluding to, a lot of times people always wanted to try to be the reform candidate, be all of those type of things, but in some respects that that in the past uh, people were a little concerned about lack of experience a lot of those things but you just had somebody who's never held an elective office in their life elected to the highest land in in the United States of America and I, I'm just curious if if we we believe that that's changed that dynamic uh, quite a bit I think it, I think it certainly could um, you know in lamb's ad he he references I will support President Trump um, so you know, Gary Richardson wears a Make America Great Again hat. Um, there, there seems to be a, a interest in, uh, even though nationally his popularity has ebbed and flowed, certainly in a Republican primary, uh, he seems pretty, pretty yeah. popular. And I think it's, you know, look, we, we talked about these candidates, and we should probably uh, mention, uh, uh, just for, for the record, the ones, the ones that are all in it. Mick Cornett, mayor of Oklahoma City, who's in this race. Uh, Todd Lamb, who is the um, obviously the... Uh, sitting lieutenant governor. Uh, you have Gary Jones, who is the existing state auditor and, ex and inspector. You have Dan Fisher, who is a former uh, Republican House member. Uh, you have Kevin Stitt uh, that we mentioned briefly, who is a business leader in Tulsa. Uh, and then you also uh, have Gary Richardson in the, re in the Republican field. And right now, the polling numbers, um, I think, Trace, you were, you were talking about uh, some Tulsa World polling numbers. And basically, most of the polling numbers you've seen so far have essentially Cornette and Lamb uh, with with uh, the most, uh, and I think that's that is a reflection of, of name ID. Uh, Joe, you talked about that, uh, how difficult name idea is to, name ID is to get. Uh, one of the things I think you have to combine is name ID with fundraising because you can buy name ID if you have a, have enough money. And some of these candidates are way way behind in fundraising. Uh, if you look at the fundraising right now, Kevin Stitt is putting in a, a bunch of his own money, but Todd Lamb is is far and away raising the most money of all of the candidates and has the most cash on hand, uh, well over two million dollars on, uh, on hand. And if you go through it, uh, Lamb, Stitt. 
Cornette, Richardson uh, have all raised more money than Drew Edmondson has uh, on the Democrat side. So I think that's an interesting reflection uh, of what's going on out there. And uh, I don't know, Joe, uh, if you want to comment a little bit about name ID and fundraising and how important those are. Oh, money drives the elections. Uh, There's just no question about it. You have to be on TV the last two weeks to a month if you're going to be a serious candidate. Uh, Looking back at the amount I raised, uh, looking at the numbers, I filed my paperwork in December to do an exploratory committee and then February of election year, which was far too late really to be a serious contender in the eyes of a lot of the professionals, a lot of the outsiders who would put money in. I raised about $600,000 from that December date to August, and then a poll dropped saying that the race was a lot closer than people expected. And from August to Election Day, I raised a million dollars. And so once people see that you're a viable candidate, or at least you may have a fighting chance, that's when they start writing the checks. And that's what a lot of these candidates are going to have the problem. Some of these guys early on, they already have more on hand than I raised my entire campaign. And that makes them legitimate candidates. For our listeners, uh, give them a reference point. What, what, what's kind of a budget for, for a statewide gubernatorial race? What, 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 what is ideally, what do you want to raise? I mean, obviously, everybody wants to raise as much as humanly possible. But ideally, what is a legitimate uh, amount? $4 million at a minimum. When you look back at the race in 2010, Mary and Jerry both had about $4 million. Mary had $4.5 million when we were running against each other. So you really have to have those resources in place to do everything that you need. And people get angry when you talk about money in elections. They say that money shouldn't drive it. But in reality, that's what turns out the vote. And and just as a point of reference, uh, according to the last uh, quarter's report uh, for the gubernatorial candidates, uh, Todd Lamb had had raised three million dollars, uh, and uh, Kevin Stitt had one point one. A lot of that is self financed on his own. Mick Cornett a little over a million dollars. Gary Richardson had only raised one hundred and six thousand uh, dollars, and uh, but he put a bunch of money in himself. Uh, so th- there are a lot of people here that uh, are, are, you know, I think you have to look at not just the polling, but you also have to look at at this point in, in time in the race, who's raising who's raising the money. Yeah, and, and different people have different strengths. You know, if we, we were talking about the, the poll that the Tulsa World had, um, it was done by Sooner Poll, and it's really not, not that robust of a, of a poll. Uh, there were 213 Republicans who were, who were asked for this, and 39% uh, were undecided. Uh, so basically, 40% were not decided. Uh, Cornette had 24% of those that were uh, of of those. Uh, Lamb had 18%. Richardson had nine. Dan Fisher had four. Um, Gary Jones and Kevin Stitt each had three. Uh, that's still not nothing set in stone at that point. There's still a lot of opportunity to get name ID up there. But each of these candidates have strengths. Um, you know, uh, uh, Jones has a. a pretty good uh, connection to sort of rural Oklahoma, uh, being from southwestern Oklahoma, being a farmer. Um, Fisher has a really strong base in terms of um, uh, abortion uh, abolitionists and uh, other people in a sort of a very far right uh, conservative Christian uh, group. Uh, Then you have Stitt, who has, you know, probably his money and his business success are his strengths. And you have Richardson, who's been on a statewide ballot before uh, and also is 
you know, a very skilled uh, talker, very skilled orator. I mean, he, and also he's, very wealthy, and and also has his own money to put in. Uh, also has some some uh, cash on hand from himself. And then Lamb has you know enormous name ID uh, in terms of, of being the lieutenant governor. Uh, the, the old joke is the lieutenant governor's job is to run for governor. Uh, so he's been all over the state, all seven to seven counties. He'll tell you. And then Mick Cornett, who's the mayor of of uh, Oklahoma City who has has you know sort of seen a, a, a overseen a resurgence of Oklahoma City a lot of really positive things associated with the thunder very heavily uh, maps all of those things and then also has a background Joe you you had maybe a sort of an amusing story you were telling earlier uh, about Mick Cornett's other name ID and I want to point out too I'm actually friends with all 12 candidates uh, <laughs> six of them came and judged our chili cook-off for OICA uh, I've got most of their cell phone numbers on my phone and as a nonprofit director, whoever's going to be the governor, I'm going to work with them and I'm going <laughs> to enjoy working with them. So I'm definitely not taking sides in this. Yeah, same here. I'm a journalist. But there you <laughs> go. But so tell us this. Uh, tell us this laugher from Rush Springs. So Mick was the only candidate who wanted to come down to the Rush Springs Watermelon Festival last year. He reached out to me and it was a rainy day. And so other events were canceled. And so he said he was going to spend some time. So I mentioned that to my mother. My mom is 82 years old. Uh, never really has paid much attention to politics other than her son running for office. Uh, she keeps up with stuff, but just not really that interested. And I mentioned that Mick Cornett was coming down to the festival and he asked me to walk him around. And she said, oh, is he that reporter from Channel 5? So <laughs> she didn't remember him as mayor of Oklahoma City, but she remembered him for his years as a sportscaster. That's, that's really interesting. So are we saying that – is that how – much the the outsider sentiment has taken over that that politicians are now viewed worse than than news media <laughs> it's either they're intentionally blocking out the fact they've served in politics or in the case of a lot of your senior voters elderly voters they are going to have that knowledge and that remembrance of mick and he was well liked as a media personality so you're going to see a lot of those older voters that turn out in a high percentage probably remember him for that so in the Oklahoma City media market, that's definitely an advantage for him. And, and I don't think you can discount the fact that Mick Cornett has spent a lifetime uh, in front of a camera. And that'll translate well in a, in a gubernatorial race uh, on commercials, on debates, on any of those type of things. Uh, that, that's something he's very comfortable in that setting, knows how to speak to a camera, knows how to do the kind of the small things that I think uh, – uh, you know, other candidates may may not come naturally to, and so I think that is that is uh, something very important. You know, so you've got Cornette who is clearly uh, got good name ID, and you have Todd Lamb who has got a, a really good pedigree with a lot of money, and he, and he's already started up on air. I think what'll be fascinating is to look back at at the polling numbers here in about a month and after we've seen some people running some ads uh, and, and see if that needle has moved a little bit. I think for Kevin Stitt, what he's going to have to do is, is that he's going to have to start uh, really investing in name ID. He's going to have to really drive up his numbers uh, because I think he's got a compelling story as an outsider. But if people don't know who he is and they, that, that message doesn't get across, that that's the impediment that he has. What I think will be interesting to watch is um, – Mick Cornett is leading in that poll right now. Uh, there's a perception among a lot of Republican insiders that his support is a little bit soft because uh, because he's overseen the MAPS program, which involves tax increases, and just because as the mayor of a large urban area, he's had to work with uh, people outside of the box of normal conservative politics. And 
so he's he's vulnerable to criticism from the right. He has not had any criticism from the right at this point in the campaign. And so if the next poll is out, if you know he's winning right now at, at 24%, he's got the largest plurality. If that ticks up at all, I think he's going to find himself in the crosshairs uh, of Lamb, of Richardson, of, of really the, the whole field. And how, how does he deal with that, and, and can he weather that? And you have to, have to be careful on those uh, negative campaigns because sometimes those negative commercials backfire and actually couldn't help your opponent. If you go too negative, then people will develop sympathy for sure. the person who's being attacked. That was a little bit the in 2002 when Richardson kind of maybe crossed that line a little bit with the ad. He even said in a, in a debate that he – he uh, didn't like showing of the twin the twin towers uh, that was in his ad, and that he got a lot of blowback for that. So, so you're the, right, it's delicate. Trace was the story. I, I believe uh, that he was hunting on September 11th, and uh, so he was the, the basically the attack was he's missing in action, and his defense was I'm in the woods hunting. I didn't even know what happened. Was that something like that? Yeah, yeah it was. I'm, I want to go down to the the OU. The Carl Albert Center has one of the finest collections of old political ads in, in the in the country it's actually really really fascinating and we, we should all go down there and, uh, and and watch some of that stuff in terms of uh, you were talking about Cornette and he's been in this position before in terms of making a Republican runoff uh, for for a higher office and that was in 2006 when he ran for the fifth congressional district that Mary Fallon uh, wound up winning and he, he got trounced in, in the Republican runoff. Uh, runoffs, as Brian, as you said, usually more party loyalists, you know, smaller turnout than your primary. And, and Fallon, you know, really dominated. Um, she had high name ID, but she really dominated that, that sort of core Republican group. And, and you talked about how, you know, Cornette being, uh, you know, the head of a, of a major metropolitan area, uh, working with a lot of different people, being very well liked by you know, uh, people across the spectrum in Oklahoma City, you know, being very popular. Um, but he, he actually got attacked in his last reelect for mayor. Uh, he got attacked for being too LGBT friendly, um, which was a bizarre attack in and of itself by, by Ed Shadid, who, uh, you know, clearly LGBT issues are, are dear to his heart. But it was just a bizarre, it was a bizarre attack to see Cornette, you know, uh, get railed on for, for being too... Uh, I think bring I think it was like bringing New York Broadway to Bricktown right. or something like that. But you know, in a Republican primary you, for governor, you can see that being a, an issue for sure. Absolutely, and so that's going to be a real interesting thing to watch with him if he makes that uh, it, if he makes it, that runoff. It's like a maze to navigate as a candidate. You you have to be uh, you know credible enough uh, that you have enough in, and be able to raise enough money that you can you know in a crowded field make it into the runoff. But once you make it into the runoff and knowing what we just said before, you really have to have those credentials of the party that people feel comfortable about or you're not going to get out of the runoff and even become the nominee. And then, you know, you always have to have the concern uh, that in a runoff or in a primary you get uh, painted too far to the right or to the left, depending on what party you're in, so that then you are not appealing in the in the general election. So it's really an interesting uh, minefield to navigate, I think, for candidates uh, when they're doing that. Uh, uh, I think Joe, when he ran, uh, you know, I'd be curious, the Democrats party has changed a little bit in Oklahoma, I think, over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, and, and I'd be curious as to what, what you think about, and, you know, we probably should switch gears and talk a little bit about the Democrats, Definitely. but talk a little bit about Democrat party politics and where, where you see that today. 
And that was one of the things I had a benefit in 2014. I was the only Democrat who filed, so I didn't have to worry about a primary election. So it allowed me to run who I was the entire race. And you do have two different types of campaigns. You have the campaign to win the primary and then possibly win the runoff, and then you have to win the general election. And usually by the general election, you want to come back to the middle. You want to moderate because you are trying to appeal to those voters from all sides. And so I, I was lucky in that fact that I was able to basically run on the record I had as a legislator and try and reach out to all the voters from the beginning to the very end. Let's talk Drew Edmondson and Connie Johnson, who are the two remaining announced Democrat candidates real quick. We've got a, a couple minutes for that, and then we're going to kind of close up with, with one little fun exercise. Uh, Drew we're Edmondson, not going to talk about the three libertarians running? Well, There's we're a gonna, runoff we're gonna, there, too. We, we could do that as a whole. <laughs> we should do a whole podcast on how we got here with the Libertarian Party. Um, no offense to Mr. Lawhorn, uh, Powell, or Exotic. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Drew Edmondson, former attorney general, um, family name. Uh, there's a jingle. Somebody could probably hum it. E-D-M-O-N-D-S-O-N spells Edmondson. There we go. I knew it would be – the rest of you guys were just looking at Joe. Uh, <laughs> and so Edmondson, you know, strong family name, uh, attorney general for a long time. Uh, if you're attorney general for a long time, you make a lot of enemies uh, if you're doing your job. And uh, Mike Hunter probably probably agree, although wouldn't want to say it on the record, right? But uh, that's a tough position uh, to, to kind of come from. But he has major name ID and has some, some connections to deep-pocketed Democrats. Uh, Connie Johnson, former state senator, uh, African-American woman from uh, East Oklahoma City, uh, grew up in southeastern Oklahoma and ran in 2014, I believe, uh, for U.S. Senate, uh, so has some statewide name ID as well. Um, that's going to be an interesting uh, situation. You know, if you look at the money and, the, and, and just the name, you would think, oh, Edmondson might, you know, run away with this, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, uh, Edmondson's been in this position before in 2010, uh, and he was in a primary where he was the favorite um, uh, to sort of follow up with Brad Henry, and he wound up losing in a primary to, to Jerry Askins, who, while she was lieutenant governor, was a little less known uh, than, than Drew Edmondson. So this could be a, an interesting Democratic primary as well. Uh, medical marijuana has been a big issue for Connie Johnson uh, in her career. She's been a big advocate and leader on that front, and that's on the June 26th ballot as well. So both in the Democratic side and the Republican side, how do we think medical marijuana may affect this? I think it's a good question. I think, Joe, we talked about cockfighting before. You know, there's a, there, there, you certainly could make an argument that this, this has something to do. Uh, it could be somewhat similar. I think that there is probably a reason why it's not on the general election. Uh, I think that uh, they wanted to keep it on the primary election. Uh, so I, I think it will be interesting. I, I would, you know, I, I certainly we don't want to get into the case of handicapping it, but I think it's safe to say that uh, Drew Edmondson uh, is is got to be far and away the the prohibitive favorite yeah. in the Democrat pri primary. Uh, and and uh, with all respect to uh, you know uh, Connie Johnson, former state senator, and everything else, Jerry Askins was certainly a much more well known candidate uh, when she ran uh, and had a much better infrastructure and fundraising ability and all those type of things. And so I think that. That clearly makes a, a big difference. I would like to ask Joe a question, though, because uh, 
Donald Trump is a is a polarizing about as polarizing as a political figure we've ever had in this country. Uh, amongst Democrats, uh, you know, uh, he is not popular, and among in many circles, Democrats just think you know that he's the worst thing that's ever happened to this country. Yet we're in Oklahoma, and in Oklahoma, Donald Trump, uh, I still believe, is polling very well in Oklahoma. How does a Democrat candidate, when they get into the general election, navigate the Donald Trump kind of question uh, without alienating their their base, but also, uh, you know, if they get asked the question, do you support Donald Trump? Do you do, you know, how do you navigate that? That's a really good question. That's going to be tough for a lot of the candidates to navigate. And you've already seen a lot of the Republican candidates have expressed their support for the president. Uh, for the Democrats, uh, they obviously can't do that in a primary with so many of the donors and supporters, but you're also going to have a lot of the average voters in the coffee shops that are going to support the president and they're registered Democrats. So it's going to be tough for these candidates to walk that line on that issue. And especially when it gets into the general election, it's going to be interesting to see what the commercials were. Uh, it's when I was on the ballot in 2014, uh, I was morphed into President Obama. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with this election with a president who is very controversial but still polls high in Oklahoma. I'd like to see that graphic of you just slowly turning into Barack Obama. I spent hours making it, actually, <laughs> yeah. on the Fallon campaign. Yeah. That, no, uh, I'm just kidding. They, they paid someone much more talented to yeah. do that. Uh, well, if that gets leaked to me, I might run it. Um, hey, I, I want to ask, but I know we've, we've got to wrap up and we're going to do our, our final section, but since uh, Joe was nice enough to, to come in and spend his time doing this, Joe, as the director of the... Oklahoma Institute for Child Advocacy, what are your advocates, what is your organization looking at for this election? What do you want to hear from the candidates in terms of child welfare and child well-being? And that's good in case my board is wondering what I was doing on here today. Uh, we're trying to drive 18, or 2018 to be the year of the child. We have several youth programs, youth organizations, they're trying to do a concerted effort to capture that same message of what was in 2014 with education. Education is always going to be one of the driving issues in Oklahoma. Oklahomans want to see better for kids. Now, do we deliver results at the Capitol? Not necessarily, but that is always one of the big issues in the campaign is how are we going to prepare things for the next generation. We're wanting to expand that discussion to be more with child well-being and look at the statistics. Uh, we're making it a big effort to talk about adverse childhood experiences and look at the problems we face in Oklahoma with generational problems. So I'm hoping that will be one of the issues. Gary Jones is, as always, campaigning on turnpikes, and that becomes an issue. You mean so, Gary Richardson. I mean, Gary, I'm sorry, Gary, jo <laughs> uh, Gary Richardson's talking about turnpikes. Gary Jones, it was interesting where he partnered up with the House Democrats to try and discuss a budget. The budget is going to be a big issue in this campaign on how we're dealing with state affairs in Oklahoma. It's still too early to tell what will be the driving factor. You're always going to have issues that will spring up like a school shooting that will develop interest in the voters immediately, but we're still too far out to really tell what's going to be the driving factor in this campaign other than education and budget sure well yeah you can never go wrong with asking a candidate what are you going to do to help kids especially vulnerable kids and i would encourage all your listeners make that one of your questions when you have the chance to visit with these candidates if you get the chance because it's very rare nowadays to actually get to see candidates out on the stump 
ask them about what they will do for kids in Oklahoma. Well, they're all going to come to the non-doc debate that we're going to talk about at a later <laughs> date. Um, so as we conclude here, uh, let's talk, let's go through, I'm going to name a candidate. I don't care who responds. Uh, tell us uh, in a sentence or so what that candidate needs to do to win. Uh, and let's start, uh, let's go by polling. Uh, let's go with uh, uh, Dan Fisher, uh, pastor and, and former state rep from UConn. What does he have to do to win? He's got to motivate the evangelical base to show up at the polls. Okay. Let's go with Kevin Stitt. I think Kevin Stitt has got to uh, show that he is a legitimate candidate, as Joe alluded to earlier. Once if people start seeing some polling numbers moving in his direction, then I think he'll he'll start seeing a little bit of momentum. Okay. Uh, what does uh, Gary Jones need to do? He was state party chair for the Republicans. He's got to have heavy turnout in the rural areas and motivate that party base that's still loyal to him. Okay, let's talk Connie Johnson. What does Connie Johnson have to do? Hope there's a really big medical marijuana turnout. And, and foster that, right? Because uh-huh. she's still got a, a, a big list from the efforts that she uh, uh, spearheaded to get that on the ballot. Um, uh, what does, uh, what does who, am I, who am I missing? What does Gary Richardson have to do? Hope that there's a, like a giant turnpike scandal. Well, I'm going to sh- – did you say Gary Richardson? Gary Richardson. I think Gary Richardson is the best when he's on, on the attack, and I think he needs to stay there and uh, make this an election about electing an outsider and rejecting the status quo and rejecting people who have been in government. Okay. What does uh, – let's say uh, – what does Drew Edmondson need to do to win this? I think Drew Edmondson needs to uh, raise money. Uh, I think he needs to uh, try to try to raise some more money. He's he's a little behind in fundraising right now, and I think he's just he's got to hope that the environment in Oklahoma uh, is such that people are really looking for some change in leadership. I'm I'm going to throw one out there on 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 Edmondson is I think that uh, he needs to be at at every VFW. Uh, and, and Veterans Center with free pizza on every Friday between now and the election because I think he's the only uh, wartime uh, veteran out there. And, and I good think point. that would be a, a, a potential avenue for him to get some, some votes that might not traditionally vote for, for Democrats. What does Todd Lamb need to do? Todd Lamb needs to it's fi- find a, a fine line to walk where he can present himself not as a continuation of the Fallon administration uh, as something new and different and fresh uh, without seeming ridiculous and distancing himself from his his career, which has mostly been in in politics and elected office. Uh, What does Mick Cornette need to do? Hope the Thunder wins the championship this year. (laughs) (laughs) I think we ended another podcast that way. And, 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 And he needs to to really gain some traction in Tulsa. He's well-known in Oklahoma City and central Oklahoma. He, he needs to plant roots in northeastern Oklahoma and stay there. And his wife is from Tulsa, and she's a well-known person in Tulsa. And she and, and he probably, Cornette probably also needs to, to really get a good, polished response to questions he gets in both southeastern and northwestern Oklahoma in terms of water, uh, because Oklahoma City gets water uh, from, from both of those directions, and that's a touchy subject. Uh, uh, when you're outside of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City coming and taking our taking our water. That's a whole other podcast. I know. We're going to do water as another podcast. Well, listen, thank you guys so much for being here, Joe. You're yeah. our first guest. Yeah, thanks, uh, Joe, Joe, for coming on and, and uh, giving us your time. It's very gracious of you. Appreciate well, it. I love this podcast. You guys are doing fantastic with it, and thank you for allowing me to be a part of this one. Well, thank thank you. you so much. We're going to go ahead and, and get out of here. Like us, review us, rate us, follow us, share us. 
um, and uh, suggest topics to us that you'd like to see. Till next time. How We Got Here is a presentation of FKG Consulting in association with Nondoc.com, produced and edited by Bryce Holland. For more information, visit fkgconsulting.com and nondoc.com. I'm like a head trip to listen to because I'm only giving you things you joke about with your friends inside your living room. The only difference is I got the balls to say it in front of y'all, and I don't got to be false or sugarcoat it at all. I just get on the mic and spit it. Like so. Uh, yeah, he calls it <laughs>